I ran it in, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm the age group like these two older, two old fellows are sitting outside a rest home together. One of them looks over at the other, stares at him for a moment, and the other says, what? And he said, you know, I, I know you and I are best friends. I know we grew up together. I know we both fell in love with our childhood sweethearts. I know we lived next door. I know we both ran a hardware store for 50 years together. But I'm sorry, I, I can't remember your name right now. <laughs> the other fellow looks back at him and he says, uh, do you have to know right now? <laughs> I'm the age that I look at all this stuff and I say, why? <laughs> well, I'm glad they're firemen in good shape. You probably had to run away from a lot of fires to stay in shape like that. I mean, for, towards a lot of fires. <laughs> no. Well, it's great being here with you and uh, uh, being here going on after everything that's been going on today. And even to go do another message after this with... Uh, it's, that seems a little over the top for it. The, uh, reminds me of a story of after uh, the Revolutionary War, the first time that the Queen of England visited the United States, now the United States, she's having dinner at the White House with Andrew Jackson. And he takes a bite out of a baked potato, gets it in his mouth, and it's boiling hot, and he just automatically, just as a reaction, he just spat it right back out on the plate. And the queen is looking at him aghast, you know. And he looks back at her and he says, you know, some fools would have swallowed that. And uh, to me, after all the messages this morning, all you've been through, great meal like that, where your digestive system is working hard, and then after the obstacle course, and your body is beaten to death, and then after more messages, all been great, uh, some fools would still go ahead and preach, I guess, but that's what they, they brought me here for, so... Turn to Exodus chapter 3, and uh, I want to look at Moses. And uh, I know we have communion, and I'm to be done at 3.35, and we will get there somehow. So let's look at this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and, he, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not take, uh, do not uh, draw near me, take your shoe off your Feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he is afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have now come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up. From that to a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, 
took place to the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians have oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we pray that through one message after another and through the worship, the prayer, the fellowship, Lord, that ministry will have happened in every life. And Lord, as we come to closing it off, we ask, Lord, if there's one thing yet that you want to say to someone, that Lord, you would say it. And Lord, that you would wrap up the day in a wonderful way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Bible scholars and teachers through the years have all studied Moses. You can't go through anything in the Old Testament without him. And looking at his life pretty closely, he lived to be 120 years old. And they've all basically wrapped his life up into three clear separate segments. Uh, one looks at Moses's three, they're all 40-year periods as well, 40 and 80 and 120 at dividing points, so cleanly divided up into 40s to make the 120. But one says that the first 40 years of his life, he was a prince. The next 40 years, he was a shepherd, and the last 40 years, a deliverer. Another says of him that his first 40 years of his life, he was impotent. The second 40 years of his life, he was, uh, pardon me, the first 40 years of his life, he was important. The second 40 years of his life, he was omnipotent. And the last 40 years, he was omnipotent. So he went from importance to omnipotent to omnipotent to impotent to omnipotent. But here, when you would look, regardless of how you look at his life, Moses really spent the first period of his life, the first 40-year period of life, essentially becoming somebody. He's somebody that when actually you look at his life, looking at Hebrews, looking at the book of, of Exodus and looking at the book of Acts when Stephen talks about him there in Acts chapter 7, it's Moses is really pretty much described for us as almost like the perfect man. And that is that if you could tonight, if you could put together a list of qualities that you were to come into the world yourself and the, the qualities around yourself, how would you design yourself? I think most people would just take Moses' description of what this man was, how he's described to us in, in the Bible. He's what I suppose many would dream of being, uh, embodiment of their life. Stephen tells us about uh, Moses in Acts chapter 7 that he was exceedingly fair. Not just simply that he was a nice-looking man. The Bible doesn't give a lot of physical descriptions about people and their appearance. But he's not just simply nice or, you know, or okay, He's not just simply good-looking, he's called exceedingly fair. He's somebody there about him that, he, that he's, he's a head-turner. <laughs> he's the type of a guy, he's the movie star type, he's a stunner. He's somebody there that you could just see him walking down the red carpet or something to the you know, Oscars or something there and just looking, there's the leading man. There's the one there that, uh, that it, boy, just what a stunner. The women are just crazy about him. Well, that was Moses. He's not just simply handsome and not just simply really, he was exceedingly, uh, what a description to have. I, I don't know how many of you, maybe you would go to bed tonight and say, you know, I want to wake up looking just the way I go to bed. 
That'd be a sad state. You know, why, why would you do that to your wife again if you could stop it? But, the, uh, but at any rate, no, most of us, well, well, okay, I'd like to be a little, better, a little better looking. Just a little, well, maybe a lot. Well, you mean just good looking, that's enough? Well, I mean, I could be really good. Yeah, you could, whatever you want. Fill in the blanks. I wonder, well, <laughs> go for broke. Exceedingly fair. <laughs> you know, let's go for that one. Moses was it. We're also told about Moses that he was educated in all the wisdom and the knowledge of the Egyptians. And you know, those are, that's an interesting combination that oftentimes you don't see together. Because essentially wisdom is, is essentially defined so much as uh, information that goes to help the betterment of mankind. People that are considered wise, that just simply what they say, people look at that and say, wow, that's, that's wise. There's a statement that they make. That, that's a beneficial statement. That's insightful. And, uh, and, and one of them is, it, but, but it, it's different. We oftentimes think of wisdom and knowledge as very much the same. But essentially, knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the dispersing of information. One of them is gathering it. The other one is the capacity to what you've gathered now actually be able to use it in a productive way. You know, our world, our uh, you know, higher education, you know, yeah, all around the, the world is filled with people that have all sorts of PhDs. They're brilliant. They've taken course after course. Some of them had many earned PhDs. Incredibly smart. Have accumulated a tremendous amount of, of, of knowledge. And yet you look at the, our, our higher education and you look there and realize in a sense of what they're doing, what they're producing, it's idiotic. So many of the things there that come out of it, you just think, what in the world has happened to our educational system? Uh, the, you know, that here, you know, right now, I was just read a thing the other day that Yale, pardon me, Harvard, this year now has more students that have in a box checked that they don't know, that they're not sure their sexual preferences yet. And they're, yeah, here they are at Harvard. Harvard, you would think by then you would kind of have a little idea whether you're, you know, that they're kind of transsexual, they're, they're leaning that way. I mean, you're looking there, and really, boy, you're on your way to a Ph.D., all right, you know, in a sense. My father-in-law had a couple, and he said Ph.D. just stood for piled higher and deeper. I don't know, but at any rate, that's what it kind of is, in a sense. There, But, but wisdom is being able to, it's the opposite. Sometimes it's just that farmer sitting out there looking at his wheat field with a stick of wheat, you know, that says a few things. Well, I reckon. And he's got more wisdom than all the educational institutes in the world. They're just, they just look at life and realize this is practical, this is good. Moses had both sides. We're also told he was mighty in word and in deed. That's again a very rare combination that you wouldn't see rarely, you know, see rarely in people. There, I mean, mighty in word. Here he is, I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant orator. Silver-tongued, you can just see him there, the capacity there to what he sees, what he hears, what he understands. With the argument he needs to put forth, he's mighty in it. He's brilliant. He listened to that guy. I don't, want to, I don't want to debate him. I don't want to get in an argument. But he's mighty in word and in deed. Uh, the, uh, uh, that, now, that's, that's the, you don't oftentimes see that. I mean, here's somebody that not only what he says is incredible, you, you know, indefensible and nothing, but also you wouldn't argue with him because he can back it up. The guy, he, he he, he, he's mighty in deed. You know, it, it, you don't see that often. When I was... Younger, when my kids were younger and growing up, there was a TV show, uh, The Incredible Hulk. And you remember, the, you know, this Incredible Hulk there, you'd all of a sudden turn into this monster, you know, wad of muscle there. And my kids used to call me The Incredible Bulk 
But anyway, that's how that went. But anyway, the, but the Incredible Hulk, this massive strength. And he couldn't back up. I mean, he could back up anything, but he, but he couldn't talk. Who are you? You know? But to have both of those. I mean, wouldn't you love to be somebody exceedingly fair, educated in all the wisdom and the knowledge of the Americans? <laughs> Their Egypt was the most uh, you know, brought along country in the, in the universe, the world at the time. Mighty in word and in deed. Uh, he's also there, at, you know, raised as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Raised there in the most prestigious home uh, there in, in the world at the time. Josephus tells us by the time of, who Josephus, the greatest of the uh, uh, Israeli uh, historians and Jewish historians, he says that uh, uh, Moses, uh, by the time he was 40 years old, he was commander in chief of the Egyptian armed forces and in line to become Pharaoh himself. Now, can you imagine, I mean, if you could just simply recreate yourself and just whatever it was, you could just be it tomorrow. You could wake it up. Be, you wake up and be that person. Exceedingly fair. Wisdom, knowledge, mighty in word. And indeed, extremely articulate. Have a vision and understanding of the life of the world around you. They're, you know, being raised in royalty. Being raised, you know, come into the world at a time when there's critical things going on that, that, affect their, that are about to affect the entire history of the world. Moses, he comes along at that time. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be terrible if you got this whole list? Here you are, all of this whole list, but you forgot one thing. You wake up tomorrow morning and you're on a deserted South Sea Island all by yourself. And there's nobody to see you. <laughs> nobody to listen to your brilliance, listen to you articulate your genius, carry things out. You just sit there. All of this stuff, what a waste. Oh, man. How sad. But no, that well, I want to be born in a place where I can change history. Be, being, you know, where something tremendous could happen, a critical time in world history. That was when Moses came along, when he came into the world. There when, uh, when, when all of this happened. And as a result of this, Moses had, I suppose, the greatest self-image anybody could ever dream of having. This way, he had a tremendous self-image. That is, Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7, verse 25, it says, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. One day Moses, he literally there finding out that he's not Egyptian, he's Hebrew. Finding out that there, that here he is somebody there, that literally God had preserved him at his birth. Finding out there that his sister Miriam had followed around there and Pharaoh's daughter out bathing, saw this little boat floating down, said, bring it over to me. What is it? They bring it over to a little baby boy. She says, I want him. I'll raise him for my own. Miriam, with a stroke of genius, she runs. She said, I know a mother, a woman who could nurse that child for you. And she said, she said, really, go get her for me. And so here it ends up where Moses' mother actually, you know, was paid. You know, first, first welfare case in the Bible where the government actually paid a mother to raise her own child. But at any rate, we're here. She, she ends up. You know, raising Moses there, nursing him. But here, well, he's, and here's all of Egypt in one sense, and yet in the other sense, here he is, eating away at him. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. I'm not one of them, really. And though they're making me one, they're offering me everything. I, they've, they've given me everything that Egypt can possibly give. And I've, I've got all of that. And yet there, there was something happened, we're told in Hebrews 11, how Moses there that he, he, he seen him who was eternal, seen there there was something greater in this life than himself. 
that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the treasures of Egypt for a season. He looked at all of Egypt. It's all yours. You're right at the threshold of it. And yet he looked over here at these slaves and he saw something in them more magnificent than all the riches of Egypt. He saw they're richer than we are, than the Egyptians. They've got more. There's something greater about them, even in their sad, pathetic life compared to an Egyptian thought. But they looked and realized there's something in their destiny in realizing their something. And, and there he literally, at, four, four, at 40 years old, he throws himself full into it. He commits himself, I will do this. He's there, and he said, supposing, as Stephen said, supposing is the word there. You know, his brethren had understood how that God would, would deliver them by his hand. One day it all, it all adds up to Moses. He says, of course. I'm not good looking for no reason at all. I didn't get all this wisdom and knowledge for no reason at all. I'm not mighty in word and deed for no reason at all. I haven't just been placed in history at a strategic time for no reason at all. I haven't been brought up through Egypt there to be commander-in-chief of the Egyptian armed forces. This is a strategic plan of God to place me at the right place at the right time to do you know, something that will change world history and set these people free. And he supposed how his brethren, the children of Israel, would understand that God had called him and set him apart. For this word. And here Moses, he threw himself fully into it. He gave himself to it there. He finds himself as he surrendered to it. As he sees a, an Egyptian. They're beating somebody. He kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand. This is an injustice. He finally puts his foot down. But then finding out that the children of Israel looked at him and they didn't receive him. They didn't trust him. They didn't accept him. All of a sudden he flees. He runs for his life. And there, you know, there's a man there. On one hand, he comes the, you know, he, 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 at this wonderful place where he really realized, I have risen to great heights in the wrong world. All of this other stuff, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It means nothing. I've been given all of this. I've got to make sure it's used for the greatest of things. He's risen to great pie, puts his life on the line, takes a stand, and he has a rude you know, <laughs> awakening. He offers himself totally to God in a sense. I'm all yours. And God rejects his offer. No, thank you. Moses finds himself running for his life. Running for his life, where he spends the next 40 years in the backside of the desert, little more than his wife's husband, employed by his father-in-law, shoveling a bunch of sheep around the desert, wondering what in the world went wrong. What went wrong? What happened here? Absolute confusion. You know, on one hand, the man there, he, I mean, incredibly, what did, what did I do wrong? I, I, I took a step. I went out. I chose rather to suffer affliction, affliction with the people of God. I did everything I possibly could. God, I was there to help you. I was there fully committed. I held nothing back. And then yet God lets him sit there and rot for 40 years. For 40 years, shuffling sheep around, working for his father-in-law. Nothing left. Everything gone. And actually, everything was gone. It took 40 years for everything really to be gone, but finally it was gone. It's something there that when God comes to Moses and he tells him what he wants there at the burning bush, and you find a you, you, great insight into what Moses really thought. You don't get the real picture until he had, God has this conversation with him, but in verse 11 of Exodus 3, Moses said to God, Who am I? Here God tells him, I brought you forth. I want to use you to deliver them. But who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, 
that I should bring the children of Israel out. Here you see Moses there, it, it gives great insight. You see, 40 years ago, Moses knew exactly who he was. Everybody knew who Moses was. You know, nobody would wander around. Nobody said, who's Moses? Everybody said, who is Moses? What do you mean, who is Moses? He's the prince of Egypt. He's lying to be Pharaoh. He's incredible. He's awesome. He is a leader to the core. But now God waits until there's 40 years. Everything is past. Everything is gone. He now looks at himself in the mirror at an 80-year-old man, and, and God says, now, Moses, let's go do what you wanted to do 40 years ago. And he says, where were you? Where were you 40 years ago? I jumped in lock, stock, and barrel, and you rejected my offering, and now you want to come and ask me to go do something. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? You know, Jesus told the Pharisees once, he says, you measure yourselves by one another. And how much that is there in all of us uh, human beings. We, we're always growing up. We measure ourselves by one another. I grew up in a family. My dad played sports, and there were three boys all a year apart. There were three boys across the street all played sports. Their dad was a coach. He was the coach in the minor league for the Dodgers. I was a bad boy for him with Don Sutton and Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. And yeah, we were all fanatics on anything, everything. And, of course, all of us, we were famous. You know, I mean, we all took somebody's name when we, we played ball. And everybody in the neighborhood, because there were six boys, all, all within, you know, six months of each other, all, amazingly. And so our house was the house. Every, there was always a game going on in the street. And we were all, nobody was just who we were. You know, we were all, I'm Sandy Koufax. I'm, I'm, I'm Don Drysdale. I'm Hank Aaron. I'm somebody, you know, or whoever it was, you know, that we would have been at the time. You know, my brother had a problem once in a while wetting his pants was Pee-wee Release. And uh, <laughs> we wouldn't let him let that die. But at any rate, the thing is, there were always somebody in life. We're always going to be somebody. We're always going somewhere. We we'll always dream of it. You know, I know a lot of you don't know me, but just a little couple of insights into me. I, I could say you don't know me, but I've won the Heisman Trophy four times Four. I was MVP in the Super Bowls twice, and, uh, and in the World Series on two occasions in the bottom of the ninth, seventh, uh, seventh game of the World Series, I hit Grand Slam home runs and won the World Series. I forgot the teams I played for at the time, but I did all that in my mind. <laughs> I can watch anything, and all of a sudden, I'm this guy. I'm hitting the ball. I'm catching the ball. I can be here. I am. I got this old broken down body. It's broken down. It's, it's, it's really on its way out. I had a stroke in 96, locked my right eye. I, and then I, yeah, well, I, I, what else did I have? I don't know. I had a lung removed in 2001. Yeah, I had one hip a year later replaced. Last year I had another one replaced. I've uh, lost most of my functional hearing. It's going bad. This Thursday I have a hernia surgery, December 26th. One of the most, my Christmas present I get, which I'm quite excited to tell you the truth, I get two new knees. I've already got my hips done, tore everything about as a kid trying to play sports. I was, the sad thing is that I destroyed my body and I was never good at anything. You know, I, you know, I, that's, that's the pathetic part. I played everything with all my heart. And, and, and what did I get for it? This pathetic thing to walk around in every day. But the thing is, is that God... It, he looks at somebody, and he looks at Moses, and when it's not until somebody can say, who am I, that they're ever truly interested in who God is. 
But then he goes on in verse 13, then Moses said unto God, indeed, uh, he said, when I come to the children of Israel, I said to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to say, they asked me, what's his name? What will I tell them? Now here's a man educated in all the wisdom, all the knowledge of the Egyptians, but he finds himself there, now he has no message. He says, first of all, who am I? I, I, I got the, you got the wrong guy, and then if I go there, I don't even, who are you? It's amazing that how much of our life we, that we think we know of a God that we have so little deep interaction with. By the way, what's your name? Who are you? He'd already completely committed himself to an, a journey that he knew so little bit about earlier on. In verse four, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Moses answered, and he says, Suppose they will not believe me nor listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared unto you. I mean, here's a man who's mighty indeed. Here's a silver-tongued order. Here's a guy there that can pass anything off. They can sell anything. But now he's looking there, and every time God says, I want you to do something, all he can do is look at himself as if he's the source of it, as if there's some expectation that God says, you know, well, you, you, you got it. here's your part. I pick you because you're good-looking. People like good-looking people. They like listening to good-looking people. And because you're smart and because you're really eloquent and because you just have a way with words. I need those way. Come on, stir them up, buddy. No. He's not interested in any of that. He, you know, he, he looks at him in verse 10 of chapter 4. And then Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since thou hast spoken unto your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You know, it's amazing to me on how eloquent he was telling God he wasn't eloquent. It's hard to even say all that. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent neither before nor since thou hast spoken unto your servant, but I am slow of speech, slow of tongue. And you're this man, 40 years, man of God, I was the package 40 years ago. I was it. I had it all together. And you rejected it. You, 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 you didn't care anything about it. And now we see a man there that everything that he had about him is gone. Every credential, every reason that he thought that God would use him, every reason that he supposed that his brethren would have accepted him. Now they're gone. He's gone from prince to pathetic. He's gone there from great wealth to now he's just whimpering before God. From prestige to oblivion. From famous to who is he? Don't know. And one may ask, why is an understanding and acknowledgement of our human failure and weakness so critical and so important? Why is it so hard for us to, to, to get that, that God does not care? And the answer, of course, is very simple. God isn't looking for us. God isn't like that. Man looks that way. Man thinks that way. Man is like the, you know, the, the, the coach who's sending out his, his assistant coach to go out and, and do, do some scouting there on, uh, on some you know, other you know, football teams and players and what ones to look for. And he's, he's, he's sending the guy out. He says, now, do you know who we're looking for? He says, well, there's the guy out there. You go and hit him, and he goes down. And, uh, and he says, and he doesn't get up. We don't want him, do we? No, no, of course not. He says, well, then there's a go down to the guy, another guy, and he hit him, and he, and he goes down, but he, he gets up. And, and the coach says, yeah, and he says, but, we'd, but he goes down again. He says, yeah, we don't want him either. No, no, we don't want him either. Then there's a guy, you go and hit him, and he goes down, and he gets up, and you hit him, and he goes down, and he hits, and he gets up, and you hit him, and he goes down, and he gets up, and he says, yeah, coach, that's the one we want, isn't it? He says, no. Well, who do we want? I said, I want the guy who's knocking them all down. Get that guy. 
You know, we want the guy who's knocking the world out. We want the guy there who's got it all. God wants the one who's been knocked flat. The one there that has nothing at all in him because we were only dirt in the first place. There was nothing in it. We came from dust. We came from being knocked out of it. We were grown out of the dust of the earth. And when man was created in that image, he had it. But when he walked away and God's spirit was driven out of him, then gone was the love of God and gone was the power of God. Gone was the presence of God. Gone was the magnificent assurance and stability and the power of God. And sadly, ever since then, man seems to have operated on, pre on presumption, on pretense, ever since, trying to be somebody he was never even dreamt of created to be, thinking of himself more highly than he ought to think. But then Moses, he went wonderfully there from from importance to impotence, but then he went to omnipotence. You see, Moses was somebody that for the first 40 years of his life, he was somebody, the next 40 years of his life, he was nobody, and the last 40 years of his life, God was everybody in and through him. Verse one, back to chapter four, it says, Moses answered, he said, suppose they will not believe me, nor listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared unto you. The Lord says, what is that in your hand? It's a rod. And he said, cast it to the ground. So he cast it to the ground. It became a serpent. Uh, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand. Take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. Here God comes to Moses after he's 80 years old. Everything in his life is gone. Now there's nothing left. He says, it's all gone. Now, now what, 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 what do you got in your hand there, Moses? What's left of you? It's shepherd's staff, a little rod. That's it. That's all that's left of me. Throw it down, Moses. He throws it down. It becomes a serpent. Imagine that. Moses had that rod for 40 years, never knew there was a snake in it until then. Becomes a serpent. He fled from before it. And God said, now Moses, take it by the tail. And there he grabs it. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know if any of you have ever been around snakes. There's got to be a lot of snakes around this part of the world. My kids, we had three boys. They got into them. Oh, my wife, <laughs> let them have it. It blew me away. I was, and they had, we had a bunch of snakes at times. Many, many snakes. All, you know, they, we, I don't know how and why it all happened. Some of them were just small garden snakes, some of them king snakes, all sorts of uh, various things. We, a couple of them, uh, pythons, one was uh, like nine and a half feet, another one close to 11. And they were huge and things. But one of the things you learn early on, you don't grab a snake by the tail. You don't have to have been around a lot of snakes to see when they just go, they have this nasty way of coming back and biting you. Just automatic reaction. And I'm sure Moses, in all his brilliance and education, he had to have one, at least one course in snakeology that said, don't pick up a snake by the tail, you know. But God says, take it by the tail. And it became a rod in his hand. And there it was like God was teaching Moses from now on, Moses, don't take anything by the head. I'll take care of the head, you take care of the tail. You follow me, you do what it is that I have. And he says, and that, that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared unto you. Furthermore, the Lord said unto him, now put your hand under your bosom. And he put his hand under his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was as leprous as snow. 
And then he said, now put your hand to your bosom again. And so he put his hand to his bosom again and he drew it out. And behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Now God looks at Moses. He says, Moses, take your hand, put it in your chest. Now take it out. He took it out. There's leprous as snow. Leprous as snow. He says, now put it back. Put it back. He takes it out. It's whole. Moses, I want you to know that any time for the rest of your life you draw anything out of yourself, you'll draw death. Anytime you're the source of anything, anytime you think that you're the author of it, you're the one that's got to do it, all you will do is find yourself rejected. How many times is it that we go and we can say whether things are our wives, our children, or other people, and it's just something out of us? Somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to handle this thing. You know, the, and so every time we do that, every time in my life, oh, I'll take care of this woman, Lauren. I'll be married 50 years to, to her in the next couple of months. And I don't know how many times through the, oh, I'll, I, I got this one. Oh, do you? Go ahead, reach in there. See what you got, buddy. <laughs> you know, an hour later, I'm over in the corner in a fetal position drooling and crying. And say, what happened? He says, you reached in to yourself. You drew out of yourself. You'd have, you, do you think you'll ever change? You think there's ever, do you think now after these years something good is formed in there? You think you're any better than you ever were? The only thing that's ever better about you is my life and my presence in you. There's nothing in you at all. There you to learn that. And the interesting thing is Moses from this point on for the rest of his life, just to kind of cut to the quick here, everything Moses did, he did with that rod. He ended up goes before Pharaoh, throws it down, and becomes a serpent. He goes and whether he, you know, touches the water, turns to blood, touch the soil, the blood, dust turns to lice. Locusts are brought on. There, whatever it was, stretch it out over the Red Sea, it opens. Uh, there, strikes the, the rock and water comes out of it. Whatever it was that he did, Moses found himself there with that rod. It was the secret of his power, of his omnipotence. In Exodus 17, it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel, and Moses spoke unto Aaron, or unto Joshua, and he said, Aaron and her and I, we will go up into the mountain of God with the rod of God in my hand, and you will go down and fight with Amalek. And it says, Then when Moses and Aaron and her went up in the mountain, when he held the rod of God high, Israel prevailed. But when he was weary and the rod was down, that Amalek prevailed. No matter how well Joshua dispatched his forces, if the rod was down, defeat was happening. But if the rod was high... Victory went on, but when he wearied, Moses or Aaron and Hur got one on one side, the other on the other, stayed up his hands till the battle was over. And then at the end, the Lord told Moses to tell the children of Israel, from generation to generation, you will fight Amalek. Everybody will. And here the thing is, is that the secret of Moses' life, all that rod was, all that it was, was one day what was left of his life, and he threw it down before God. And every time he had a battle in his life, he just lifted up a surrendered life, a broken-ended man who found the glory of God. And a man there that could now defeat the enemy. He, he literally controlled the forces of nature for 40 years. Unimaginable what he did with a surrendered life. And today as we close, all I would ask of you is if I have a very simple question. What's in your hand? You know, there's what these ads, what's in your wallet? <laughs> well, what's in your hand? Well, I'm a carpenter. I just hammer. You know, uh, 
I'm at a ranch, I'm a plumber. Briefcase, I'm, I'm, I'm a banker. Stethoscope, I'm a doctor. Lawnmower, I'm a gardener. Whatever it is, all of us, you have something in your hand. I don't care who you are. I believe God looks and he says, what's in your hand? I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done, what you, what, what you have, what you don't have. I don't care how good looking you are, how smart you are. I just want to know if you're tired of it all and what's left of you. Will you throw it down? That's all. Will you throw it down and take it by the tail? I'll take the head. You're going to go home and today, and if you're married, you'll go home and there'll be a woman there. And there may be family around you. Perhaps go to work Monday. And all day long, you will have something in your hand. There'll be something you're holding on to somewhere. And the, the great, you know, one of the things that people, you know, most people don't like getting old. I actually like getting old. I mean, I don't like a lot of the things that you got to go through in the process of it. But I have one journey here. I'm only here to know him. And I found that when God weakens us, when God takes us down, when there's something that, to me, I mean, I'm one of these people, God, I just, Lord, I want to give you my whole life. He won't take it. He just takes pieces. Here, a little here. Here, we'll take a knee this time. I've been getting shots for 16 years, for six, pardon me, for three years. For for three years, every few months, the doctor said, why don't you get your knees done? Well, because they're all I got left of me. You guys have been taking. I got my hips. You got my hearing. You got my eyesight. You got a lung. You know, can't I just like to hold on to the parts as long as I can keep them? And he said, okay. But we ended up setting a date. But when we there say, God, just take the whole thing. It's all yours. I want to throw it down. And maybe some of you, you realize that you've been through a great day and maybe hopefully the Lord's spoken in all sorts of ways, but maybe you're sitting there and you still realize, I have something in my hand that I, I must throw it down. I've got to. That's why I'm here today. And if that's where you're at and realize, Lord, I, I don't want to pick it up. I want, I, I, want to, I want to just lift up my surrendered life, my broken life, my ended life. I want you to remind me who cares who I am, who cares what I've got, who cares where I've been and where I'm going and what I can do. I just care about you. I want you to go home and speak to that woman. I want to take out not death when I go home. I, want to, I don't want to take death out when I go to work. I don't want to take me out. I want to take you out. And if that's where you're at, I want to pray, and then we're going to have communion. But first, I just want, if that's where you're at, I want to pray for you. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to stand wherever you are, I'd encourage you to stand, whether that's just your way of saying, if, if I'm actually doing this in my heart, I certainly ought to be able to stand up with my feet. And maybe God's speaking to you. And he says, what's in your hand? And you know what it is. I don't. It's none of my business. You know what's in your hand. And he says, throw it down. That's all I've ever wanted. Moses, I've waited 80 years. 80 years. 
you couldn't do it. You, didn't, you weren't there at 40. You weren't there at 50 or 60 or 70. You're there, Moses. I'll give you just another moment, a number of you. For whatever reason in your heart, you stood. But if there's any others before we pray, I, I know it's in my hand. I know what you're talking about, Lord. One of the things I love about the ministry of the Word of God, it's incredibly personal, and many times I have no idea what's going on myself in people's hearts, and it's none of my business. It's God's Word in you. That's all there is. Soon we'll all be gone. You'll be driving home, and it'll be God's Word in you. Anybody else? Dear Father, we thank you for today. Lord, thank you for all the work that's gone into this for months all the planning, all the prayer, all the effort of the staff here, Jason and others, many that have put in, the secretaries, printing things up, sending things out, making flight plans, coordinating, getting all the food. Everybody, so many have been such a part of this, such a wonderful way, all just to provide an atmosphere where you could sit down with your word and your men and Lord, we don't want to miss anything left to it. We ask, Lord, that you would just with each man, whatever is in his hand, he can let it go. He can drop it. And then when he goes home, I, Lord, save me from myself. Don't let me reach into my chest and bring it out. It'll be death, I know. I'll take it by the tail. You take care of the head. Lord, we love you, and we just want, Lord, to grow closer to you. And Lord, as you strip away all the superficial things in our nature and our character, Lord, thank you that we don't need to be any of the things that Moses was, because if Moses would have succeeded at 40, we'd all have an excuse to do nothing. We'd say, I don't have any of those things but because you waited until he had none of them, now you look at us and say, you have no excuse. I waited till Moses had nothing, and then I was everything in a surrendered life. Lord, we pray that you would be everything in our lives, everything, and that we would continue to redefine everything again and again and again. But today, as best we understand it, Jesus, we give it to you. Bless each man. You know the reason for which we all stand. It's not before anybody else as much as you. And doing, Lord, a piece of business to look you in the eye and say thank you for your patience. Thank you, you were so patient with Moses. And you've been patient with me. And Lord, now I want to just lift up my life, surrendered. Help me and strengthen me and fill me. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be...